Well, good morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing Let It Go, <laughs> even though it was tempting. <laughs> I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas time with your family. I just wanted to take a moment to say a special thank you to everyone who gave to Christmas cheer this year. We were able to help 13, I mean, sorry, 18 individuals and families. And let me tell you, the response was amazing. One person said to me, you guys made my Christmas. Another person said, I wasn't sure how we were going to have groceries and gifts for our children. And because of this gift, we're able to do that this year. So thank you. Another dad called me. His wife had just passed away and we helped him. And he was just so thankful. He was in tears. And that's just a few of the responses. So again, thank you to those who gave. You made a big difference in some families' lives this year. Again, I want to welcome you to Warden on this last day of 2023. It's so hard to believe that another year is come and gone and we're here on this New Year's Eve. As I look back on 2023, there have been some wonderful things that have happened for all of us and also some very difficult things that, that have happened. But God has been faithful. And I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness in my life and my family's life and in this church. It was this year that God brought Pastor Peter, Pastor Carrie Ann, Brooklyn, and Oliver to us. This year, little Josephine David came into the world. Johnny and Nancy got married this year. Seema, Elijah, Wahida, praise God, Shalom, Jonathan, and Joshua were all baptized. Gertrude Doberstein, Rupe Sedell, and Celeste Scarlet went to be with Jesus, and so much more has happened. I, can, I can't help but wonder what this new year will bring. A new year is like a fresh start. It's a time when we try to change things in our lives that we're not happy with. So I found this poem that I thought was cute. It's called, Twas the Week After Christmas, and it goes like this. Twas the week after Christmas and all through the house. Nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. The cookies I'd nibbled, the eggnog I'd taste, all the holiday parties had gone to my waist. When I got on the scale, there arose such a number. When I walked to the store, less a walk than a lumber. I remembered the marvelous meals I prepared, the gravies and sauces and beef nicely rared, the turkey and the chocolates, the bread and the cheese, and the way I never said, no, thank you, please. As I dressed myself in my husband's old shirt and prepared once again to battle the dirt, I said to myself, as only I can, you can't spend the winter dressed like a man. So away with the last of the sour cream dip, get rid of the fruit cake, every cracker and chip. Every last bit of food that I like must be banished until all the additional ounces have vanished. I won't have a cookie, not even a lick. All I want to chew on is a long celery stick. I won't have hot biscuits or cornbread or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore. But isn't that what January is for? Unable to giggle, no longer a riot. Happy New Year's to all and to all a good diet. <laughs> Can anyone relate? <laughs> so we decide. A new year, a new beginning. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to drink more water, eat more protein and less calories. And you know, those things will make you feel better and you'll be better for doing them. 
but we should also deal with the spiritual side of life, that eternal part of us. Actually, we should be more concerned about the spiritual side of life than the physical. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It's important to be physically healthy. God cares about our bodies, but godliness or attending to spiritual matters will do more for us than any exercise program or diet ever can. You know, I truly believe that God wants to do great things through us individually and as a church family in this new year. And I am so excited for what's coming. But we need to be ready. We need to be healthy. And we need to be strong spiritually. In order for that to happen, I believe there's some things that we need to let go of. I read that in Southeast Asia many years ago, someone developed an ingenious method to catch monkeys alive and unharmed. The hunter would take a small wooden box with a hole in it, just big enough for the monkey to reach through with one hand. And then the box is secured to a tree. Inside the small box is placed some kind of food, such as a date or a banana. The heat of the day would cause the odor of the treats to attract the monkeys. The monkey smells the treats, reaches his hand into the narrow opening of the box, senses the food in it, and he'll reach his hand in and grab hold of it. As the monkey attempts to extract the treat from the box, he can't get his hand out, and he finds that a fistful of the treat and his hand is stuck in the narrow opening. The monkey gets excited and frustrated, so he screams, and he continues to hold on to the food and tries to remove it from the box. This is a sign for the hunter to walk over to the monkey, throw a net over it, and capture it. But even as the monkey sees the hunter approaching, instead of letting go of the food, the monkey holds on to the food even tighter and tries even harder to dislodge its arm and the fistful of food from the box. Of course, you and I realize that to escape from the monkey hunter, the monkey simply had to let go of the food and would have easily been able to remove its arm from the box and run for its freedom. But it refuses to let go and therefore gets trapped. All the monkey had to do was let it go. Now, please don't take this the wrong way, but we can be a lot like those monkeys. As Christians, there are certain things that we need to let go of in order to live in freedom and the joy that God has provided for us. Now, I want to look at three of those things this morning. But before we do, let's just pause for a moment and pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives in this past year. God, as we look forward to the coming year, God, we want to be our best. We want to live in the freedom and the grace and the joy that you've provided for us. So just help us, Lord. Help us to let go of the things that we need to let go of. And God, we thank you for your word. It helps us to, to know what is true and help us to live in that truth today. God, open our hearts and our ears for what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, the first thing that I think we should let go of is condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
This verse is a powerful declaration of the freedom and forgiveness that believers have in Christ. It emphasizes that there's no longer any condemnation or judgment for those who are united with Jesus through faith. That means that as believers, we are completely forgiven and accepted by God. We are free. Our sins have been paid for by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and we're no longer under the condemnation of the law. Instead, we're now in a position of righteousness and favor with God. This verse reminds us of the incredible grace and love that God has shown us through Jesus. And it encourages us to live in the freedom and confidence that comes from knowing we're no longer condemned. We can let go of shame and embrace the truth of our forgiveness in Christ. It's so important to let go of condemnation because it is a trap. You know, if you think you're a no-good child of God, you're going to live like a no-good child of God. But when you realize the truth of who you are in Christ, you know what happens? It will change your behavior. Let me share with you an illustration. It's from Neil Anderson. He writes, Slavery in the United States was abolished by the 13th Amendment on December 18, 1865. How many slaves were there on December 19, 1865? Well, in reality, there should have been none. But many still live like slaves because they never learned the truth. Others knew and even believed that they were free, but chose to live as they always had. He says, now suppose several plantation owners were devastated by the Emancipation Proclamation. We're ruined, they said. Slavery has been abolished. We've lost the battle to keep our slaves. But their chief spokesman slyly responded, not necessarily. As long as these people think they're still slaves, the Emancipation Proclamation will have no effect. We don't have any legal right over them anymore, but many of them don't know it. Keep your slaves from learning the truth, and we'll control over them, and the control we have over them won't be challenged. Years later, many still had not heard the wonderful news that they had been freed, so naturally they continued to live the way they always lived. Then one day, a former slave heard the good news and received it with great joy. He checked out the validity of the proclamation and discovered that the highest of all authorities that originated the decree. Not only that, but it personally cost the authority a tremendous price so that slaves could be free. The slave's life was transformed. He reasoned that it would be hypocritical to continue living as a slave, even though his feelings told him he still was. Determined to live by the new truth, he experienced, his experiences began to change dramatically because he realized, now get this, that his old master had no authority over him anymore and he didn't need to be obeyed. He was free and he gladly served the one who set him free. You see, that's it. We are free from our old master. We're no longer slaves to sin. We can be free from guilt and shame and condemnation. We don't have to feel bad about ourselves. It's like that hymn says, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and him, my is Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. We need to let go of condemnation and be free to live in the grace of God.
The second thing we need to let go of in order to have freedom is comparison. Now, we're taught to compare ourselves to others in all sorts of ways from the time we're young. And though we might learn to deal with it a little better as we get older, it can be so easy to get stuck in the comparing ourselves with those around us. This is especially easy thanks to social media, where we can compare ourselves to others 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the click of a button. And would you believe that comparison is not absent inside the church walls? I read about this young woman who asked for an appointment with her pastor to talk to him about a besetting sin about which she was very worried. When she saw him, she said, Pastor, I've become aware of a sin in my life which I can't control. Every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at the other women and I realize that I'm the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can even compare with my beauty. What do I do about this sin? And the pastor replied, Mary, that's not a sin. Why, that's just a mistake. <laughs> Seriously, though, as Christians, the temptation is there to compare our relationships with God, our ministry involvement, our spiritual growth. Comparison, I think it's become so commonplace that we forget how damaging it actually is. I have to admit, even as I was preparing for today, I found myself struggling with comparing myself to Pastor Peter Pastor Orlando, and I started to think, you know, I'm so much simpler, and I'm not as charismatic as they are, and, you know, I was starting to lose my confidence, and I had to say, Connie, stop it, let it go, just be you, because God made you the way you are, you have to be yourself. See how easy it is to get stuck in the trap of comparison? Andy Stanley says, there is no win in comparison. Could you say that with me? There is no win in comparison. Proverbs 4.30 says, uh, 14.30 says, envy rots the bones. And Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, the thing that drives people is comparison. Let's face it, not a day goes by that you're not tempted to glance to your left and to your right and see how you measure up to the people around you. We compare possessions, we compare appearance, performance, and our circumstances. But it doesn't stop there, does it? We're tempted to compare our children to others' children. You compare your spouse to other spouses. It's frustrating, it's exhausting, and it's a trap. Now, it's not good to compare for many reasons. One reason is that comparison is the death of contentment. Continually comparing ourselves to those around us robs our joy. We can feel bad about ourselves, and it always leads to some form of dissatisfaction. There will always be somebody smarter, richer, better looking, and more successful than you. But on the other hand, comparison can also make us prideful. Comparing ourselves to others can bring out feelings of superiority and cause us to feel prideful. In comparing ourselves to others, we can most likely feel superior in some, others, in, in some areas where others might feel weak. In Luke 18, 11 to 12, we see a good example of this. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. A Sunday school teacher told her class this passage and the little boy was asked to close in prayer and he thanked God that he wasn't like the Pharisee. <laughs> See how easy it is to get caught in the comparison trap? Remember, success is not a balancing scale. It's about being who God wants you to be. Another reason comparison is not good is because comparison can make us resentful. In 1 Samuel 18, 6-9, we read a story about Saul and David. It says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. See, comparison can cause us to resent God's goodness in others' lives, and we can ignore God's blessing in our own life. Saul, he was the king. He had everything. He had so much, and yet he couldn't enjoy his life because he was comparing himself with David. Comparison can make us bitter and jealous and ultimately damage our relationships. It's important for all of us to admit that because we're human and we can often fall into the trap of comparison. So how do we let it go? Well, one way we can let it go is know what we have and learn to be content. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be about, abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So learn to be content with what you have, and that will help you not to be comparing. Another thing is know who you are. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's workmanship, and he's equipped us for every good work. I saw on Instagram just this week, Craig Rochelle posted, Comparison will make you either feel superior or inferior, and neither honors God. See, we were not created to feel inferior, nor should we aim to make others feel inferior. We must continually think about the truth that each human being has inherent value because we were made in the image of God. When you find yourself getting trapped again by comparison, remind yourself who you are in Christ and remember, you have a special set of gifts, personality traits, and talents that are unique to you. Measuring your success by someone else's yardstick leads to frustration. And living a life free of the comparison trap will lead to a much better life and much more contentment. The third thing that we need to let go of is control. I saw a t-shirt that said, I'm not a control freak, but I can show you the right way to do that. 
I immediately thought of somebody I could get that for. How about you? Can you think of someone who that shirt would be good for? (laughs) How about yourself? I'm curious. How many of you would honestly say that there's at least one area in your life that you love to control? Come on. I know I have to put up my hand because I love to be in control. Well, some of us want to be in control of everything. You might want to control your kids, what they look like, where they go, who they hang out with, what they do, where they go to college, who they marry, how many kids they're going to have, how they're going to take care of you when you're old. You just want to control them. Others are trying to control their spouse. You tell them how to chew, how to dress, what to say, what to want, where to go, how to load the dishwasher, how to vacuum. (laughs) Maybe you want to control what people think about you. And social media is your greatest weapon. You get to show them the life that you want them to see, filtered and edited. It might have took you 37 attempts to get that Christmas photo by the tree. You almost gave away a kid and divorced your spouse but you were, because you were so mad at each other. But your hashtag is blessed. <laughs> It's nice to have control, isn't it? But in reality, in life, there are some things we just can't control. I suspect that most of all the conflicts and battles in life boil down to issues of control. All of us would like to have at least some control over our health, our time, the price of gas, how much money the government should really get. Um, I'd like to remind you of a couple of things that I hope will help you get out of the control trap. The first thing is that the things that happen to us, or the first is that when things happen to us or our loved ones that are feel like it's out of our control, when people are not doing what you want them to do, what you think they should, I want you to remember that God is in control. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those words remind us all that God is in control, and those who know and trust him to be good and gracious can live in peace and contentment under his control. You know, the more you try to be in control, the more you fear losing control. And the more you fear losing control, the more you seek control. And it just can become like a vicious cycle. Owning control can be one of our biggest vices in this world. It's much easier taking control of things, too, when when the desires of our heart aren't met, especially when those desires are well-intentioned. But we, can we really say that our intentions and our plans are better designed than God's? Can our will and our wants and our needs and our purposes be more important and better than God's? Never. And so be encouraged. If you or someone you love finds themselves in their surroundings soaring out of control, be reminded that God's control is holy and God's control as a purpose. Now, here's the second thought. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. You know, you don't always have the power to make him do what you want or to make her behave like you want, 
to get your marriage where you want it to be, to get your finances in line, to get your future lined up, to get your health where you want it to be, to have your kids doing everything you want them to do. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. You know, some of you had a plan. You were going to have two kids, and then you got a bonus round, and you weren't expecting that. You didn't see it coming. Or the opposite, you hoped for three kids, and you found that you couldn't conceive your first, and you're heartbroken. You thought that job was the perfect job when you took it, and it wasn't, and now you're worried about paying the bills. It could be a relational issue. There could have been an empty chair at the Christmas table this year. The person was there last year, and for whatever reason, they're not there this year. You never thought it would happen. It could be a health issue. It could be financial. It could be any number of things. You're troubled by the circumstances in your life. You didn't think that this was the way it would be, and things seem like they're out of control. Now, we just celebrated Christmas, and in thinking about the need for control, it made me think about Mary. Mary didn't know the end of the story either. She didn't know that three decades later, her firstborn would be on the cross, that he would die and then God would raise him from the dead and that he would ascend to heaven and he'd be seated at the right hand of God the Father. She didn't know that. Mary had a choice to make. She had to make a choice between her dreams and God's destiny. She had to make a decision between her plans and God's purpose. She had to choose between her control and God's calling. And what I love about Mary is this. Even though she didn't understand the plan, she trusted that her father had a purpose. And she made the decision to, to surrender. She said to the angel, let it be to me as you have said. God's doing something in your life too. You don't always have the power to control the situation or even understand the situation, but you always have the power to surrender. And let me tell you, that's not easy because everything in our culture tells us you got to make it happen. If it's going to happen, it's up to you to make it happen. But Jesus says something that's dramatically opposed to everything that the culture says. In Matthew 16, 25 and 26, Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In essence, Jesus is telling us, if you cling to your life, if you try to control your life, you're actually going to lose it. But if instead, if you give up your life, if you surrender it to, for me, Jesus says, you're going to find it. In other words, to follow Jesus is to surrender control. Like Barry, we need to say to Jesus, let it be, Lord, let it be. And when we look at Mary's surrender, you know what's interesting? Every time she so chose to surrender something, she would experience God's faithfulness. Now, fast forward to Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's agonizing, knowing what's about to happen. And he cries out to his heavenly father. And Jesus asks if there's any other way that God would remove this cup. Jesus is talking about the cup of suffering that's coming. And Jesus says this, 
My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The phrase, your will be done, that's the exact same Greek word his mother said. They were both saying the same thing. Your will be done, Lord, not mine. And Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for you and I. Now, what's so special to me about the story of Mary is this. The angel appears to her. And what did the angel say? He said, the Lord is with you. And he's with you as well. Well, think about it. Who is Jesus? He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I hope you more than feel that today. I hope you will experience him and believe that God is with you. If there is a burden on your heart, and I don't know what it might be, it could be a relationship, it could be a marriage, it could be a child that you're aching for, it could be a bad diagnosis, it could be a financial weight that's crushing you, it could be a fear, it could be a hurt because of something that you've lost or something that someone has done to you, it could be an addiction that you just can't seem to beat, it could be the guilt that you're carrying from something that you did that you can't undo. Whatever it is, I want you to give it to God. Give God the burden of what you're trying to control. Just let it go. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you're going to make that decision to put your faith in him today. Surrender your life to him and trust in his grace to save you. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants you to come and give your life to him. But here's what I've learned over the years. I can't force Jesus on you. I can't control you. I can't make it happen. All I really have is prayer. Now, not that prayer is a bad thing, but sometimes, if we could admit it, prayer seems so limiting because what we want is we want to control life. We want to control every moment. We want to control the outcome. You know, that's what we want, and it's so difficult to surrender sometimes, isn't it? Well, only God's Spirit can move me, can move you to surrender. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. And I promise you, God can do way more through your surrender than you could ever do through your control. So my prayer for you, for my family, for myself is the same, that we would surrender to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll conclude with this. I heard a story about this eagle. It swooped down and it picked a mole off the ground, grabbed it with its claws and held it close to its chest. This was unusual because an eagle would normally pick up a mole. They eat fish and other things. As the eagle was flying, holding this mole so close, it began to get tired, started getting weaker. It flew lower and lower. Finally, it had to land. On the ground, the eagle lost all of its strength. It fell over and died. The little mole scurried off unharmed. Very puzzling, right? Well, a veterinarian found the eagle and discovered that the mole had suddenly bit into the eagle's chest. 
The eagle couldn't feel it, but it punctured the eagle's heart and caused it to lose blood pressure and eventually pass. Are you holding on to something that you don't realize is killing you? Guilt and condemnation, comparison, maybe it's the need to control, and it's just draining the life out of you, taking your joy, your peace, and your creativity. Think about it. How much higher could you fly? How much further could you go if you got rid of those things that you're not supposed to be carrying? Today can be a turning point. My challenge for each of us this morning is to make 2024 a year when you let it go. Let go of the condemnation that you're feeling and live in the freedom and the truth of God's grace in your life. Let go of comparison and know who you are in Christ. And let go of the need to control and surrender to Jesus. I believe if we do that, 2024 can be such a transformative year. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you in this new year to help us, to change us. Help us to surrender those things in our lives that we're just trying to control, God. Help us to give it to you, knowing that you are good and that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. For those maybe who are feeling condemnation, who are just feeling guilty and bad all the time over the things that they did in their past, God, I pray that they would be able to let that go and live in the freedom of your grace. God, I live like that so many years of my life, Lord, and it's not a good way to live. So God, help us to let go of that. God, for those who might be comparing themselves to others, Lord, and just wanting to be something that they're not or trying to feeling bad or even feeling proud, God, I pray that you would help us to just keep our eyes on you and who you've created us to be. God, let 2024 be a year when individually and as a church, God, that we can do great things for your kingdom, that we can be free to serve and to love and to reach out and to just be all that you have created us to be this year, God. We love you and we thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. We're going to sing one more song and worship together in this last day of 2023. I want to also remind you to join us after the service for Cafe Connect and uh, spend some time getting to know one another a little bit better. God bless you.